Hey y'all, how y'all doing? It is me, Tiffany E. I'm one-fourth of the podcast with, of course, Janae, Alexis, and Nicole, and I'd like to welcome you back to the show. So today we're going to do the storyline recap. I am, of course, late with this, and that seems to be a trend with me for most of the time. Um, <laughs> But anyways, listen, we heard about everything when it comes to Vince McMahon and his retirement. We're well aware of all of that. But we're going to do a full episode dedicated to specifically all of that next week. I kind of wanted to make sure nothing else new came out about this situation with Vince and we didn't have to double back and record again. So we're giving it a little bit of time to sink in and then we're going to give you guys all the feels, all the information that we've collected. We're going to make sure we explain it and break it down for you so you have a clear understanding of what's going on and what are the possibilities. All right. So. With all that being said, don't worry, that podcast is coming. We're also going to get that roast sessions out. If you have any suggestions for people that you want roasted, send it to our DMs. You can send it to our DMs on Twitter or you can send it to our DMs on Instagram. On Twitter, we are at down for the count 19. On Instagram, we are at D4TC underscore podcast. If you're listening to us on Anchor, you can send it to us through there as well. So there's many of ways to get us on the road to get a particular wrestler on the roast sessions if we know about them and we have knowledge of them they can be roasted all right just know that the roast sessions is not about tearing anybody down or bullying it's just about a little a little kiki and a little bit of fun and just having a little fun dig okay we just doing a little bit of snapping that's all if you don't know what it is look it up all right look it up <laughs> we're gonna talk to the storylines for SummerSlam, but first we have to talk about one of the matches that has been pulled from the show. Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle's match at SummerSlam has been officially pulled. It is no longer being advertised and no longer being had. According to WWE, they announced this breaking news this morning all over their social media. It says, and I quote, please excuse me if I do not get the medical terms right for this injury because I have no idea what this is. But... It says Riddle has suffered a brachial plexus injury, a stinger, with significant weakness following an attack from Seth freaking Rollins on Raw. As a result, he is he has been medically disqualified until full strength returns and his SummerSlam match against the Visionary has been postponed. So I went to go find out first how to pronounce this, okay? And you pronounce it as a brachial plexus injury, which I kind of had it right. But it also says on Google, I went to Google to search and see where this injury could happen. And they seems to be legit. This is a brachial plexus injury and it usually occurs in the neck. So this is about the nerves in Matt Riddle's neck. It could cause him to lose feelings in his shoulder arm and hand all right it says the nerves supporting the arm exit the spinal column high in the neck those that support the hand and fingers exist lower in the neck the nerve is complex composed of four cervical nerve roots we don't need to know that <laughs> so basically seth rollins curb stumping him on that aluminum staircase this past monday 
caused him to have a nerve injury. It seems to be closer to what a pinched nerve would be. And this is causing him to lose feeling in his hands and maybe his shoulder. At least that's what the injury says that you could possibly have. With all that being said, I hope Matt Riddle gets well soon. And we see him um, within the next couple of months. Apparently, they are rescheduling this match for Clash at the Castle, which is on September 3rd. So I look forward to seeing the match and we hope Matt Riddle gets better. And we all know that the evil Joker, Seth Rollins, is relishing in putting another superstar on the shelf, just as he did with Cody Rhodes. But we're not here to talk about Seth. At least I'm not. We are here to talk about the storylines that are happening at SummerSlam. And well, we got a lot going on. So let's try to let's try to keep this under an hour. <laughs> let's start off with the most recent match that was added to SummerSlam's lineup. And that was the Mysterios versus Judgment Day in a no disqualification tag team match. Now, this rivalry between Judgment Day and the Mysterios has been boiling over for quite some time. I'd say about a month or so. Rey Mysterio was set to go up against Judgment Day and they have been going after Rey and his son Dominic ever since. Now we all know that Rey and Dom have been a duo ever since Dom debuted during the pandemic era. And for a long time, people were thinking that this duo was going to break up, but they didn't. This past Monday, Rey Mysterio celebrated 20 years in the business of being one of the most prolific and inspiring underdogs of our time. And honestly, Rey Mysterio is a legend. He is an icon in the industry of wrestling. And without him, a lot of people probably wouldn't be seen on TV right now as we speak. We all respect what Rey Mysterio has brought to the table and we all love him for it. And now his son is heading in to lead up the legacy of the Mysterio family. But all of that came crashing down this past Monday. For the past couple of weeks, Judgment Day has been on the Mysterio's ass for whatever reason. We don't know why. They just make it a point to target one set of people or person. And then they go after them with a vengeance as if they cost them something or took something from them. Balor, Priest... And now Rhea Ripley, who's returned from injury, are going after the Mysterios like it is the, their life dependent on it. At first, they offered Dominic a, a position in Judgment Day. And when Dominic turned it down and didn't accept their advances, they took it as a slight. How dare Dominic not accept something that was so beautiful and so great. Embracing the darkness is where everybody needs to go because it's the only way to finding your true self. At least that's what they would choose to believe. Dominic, of course, is loyal to the Mysterio family and his father. And he would never turn on him, at least for the time being. So, it leads us to the matches that they've had. For the past couple of weeks, we've seen Judgment Day win a match over the Mysterios. And of course, the Mysterios win a match over Judgment Day. These last couple of matches have been going back and forth. With Rey Mysterio using Eddie Guerrero's iconic lie, cheat, and steal moniker. And of course, the cheat with the chair has always been the trope that everybody loves. You guys remember sometime last year during the pandemic when Ricochet was getting the shit kicked out of him by the Hurt Business and he did it? Oh, it was beautiful. To this day, that is still one of my favorite things that I've seen. 
Anyways, instead, we got Lil Ray Ray running around pulling an Eddie Guerrero. They tried to use a chair. And so in true Eddie Guerrero fashion, Ray Mysterio turned the tide and made it appear as though he was hit in the head. They won the match by disqualification and all was right in the world of the Mysterios. Or so they thought. After that match was over and him and Dominic were celebrating, they went in the back and got mercilessly attacked by both Damien and Finn Balor. And it was fucking brutal. This led to a couple more matches throughout the week. Well, throughout the next couple of weeks between Judgment Day and, of course, the Mysterios. Dominic, I don't think Dominic picked up a win over the, over Damian Priest, but they did switch out who they were going up against. One week it was Damian versus Ray, another week it was Damian versus Dominic, another week it was Dominic versus Finn, and another week it was Finn versus Ray. They kept going back and forth until this past Monday. It was Rey Mysterio's 20-year anniversary, and so they set up a tag team match, the Mysterios versus the Judgment Day. Now, the Mysterios were able to go out there and celebrate their 20-year celebration. Everybody was able to say what they wanted to say, more specifically, Rey Mysterio, because it was his celebration and not Dominic's. I mean, he wasn't even around for the full 20 years. Come on, Tiffany, get it together. Anyway, <laughs> Rey was able to give his full speech and love and admiration to all of his fans, all of his admirers, and everybody Whoever rooted for him, loved him, hated him, or even so much as gave him a small glance. He appreciated it. And he appreciated all the fans who was down for him 100% 10 toes down for the last 20 years. Y'all been riding for him and he appreciated it. He even said it in Spanish so you can get the whole feel. And then Judgment Day came out. At least they didn't come out during the, his speech. They let him have his moment, which respect to that. I mean, they're not complete assholes, right? They have some decorum. <laughs> they tried to attack. And of course, the Mysterios defended themselves. They were scheduled for a match anyway. And so they had one. And again, it was a decent match leading up until we got to the end where Ray. Of course, pulled another Eddie Guerrero. They tried to use a chair. And so Ray made it seem like what they tried to do was pull an Eddie Guerrero. And it didn't work out in their favor because they were able to hit, he was able to hit Finn Balor in the stomach with the chair. And then <laughs> make it appear as though Balor hit him with the chair again. The ref was successfully distracted by Dominic and Damian Priest was laid out. So Finn was left to his own devices. And when the referee saw that Finn had the chair, that was a good enough distraction for Finn to throw the chair out and say, wait, I didn't do anything. And of course, that gave Ray the opening he needed. Damian Priest tried to come in and both men were ended up laid out on the second row of the ring. This led to a double 619 by the son and the father. The father and the son. <laughs> and this led to a victory for the Mysterios. So they went into the back to celebrate. And they had a good time. At least that's what they thought. Six, seven people were in this room. 
all of them celebrating Rey Mysterio's 20-year anniversary. His daughter gave him one of his old gears that he claimed he couldn't find. And they had a nice little celebration with shots, Patron, they had Patron, okay? Shots and champagne and just living up life. Well, Rhea Ripley's big, dark and brooding ass walked up in there, just out of nowhere, walked in there. Now, see, here's where I have a problem, and this is where we come out of the kayfabe storytelling, because what I don't like is how you, a woman, walking up on a bunch of dudes, and you know they not going to do nothing to you, so you feel protected. I don't like that shit. I feel like chivalry is dead. And if a bitch put her hands on me, she gonna get her ass whooped. If a dude put their hands on me, I'm gonna beat they ass the way they daddy should have. You had all of them people in the motherfucking room. All them people was in that room. Logic would have said being walking up in there was not safe. Now, one thing I will say about his daughter, I think her name is Aaliyah, is the bitch got balls. But one thing she ain't got is bravery. Because she went, to, she let the girl come up in there and she gonna step in front of her dad and say, get out. But bitch, you didn't do nothing. That whole mean mug the fuck out of that little girl. Mean mugged her ass all the way back into her daddy. And then she grabbed Dominic by his hair and drug him out. And I said, ain't nobody going to do nothing. Your mama standing right there. She ain't even try. She got on all them Louboutins and Louis Vuittons and couldn't take that shit off so she can go fight and keep her kids together. You got me fucked up. Let me let me be hired by WWE. That whole storyline would have been different, okay? It had been me and Rhea, okay? We'd have been fighting. You're not going to punk me out on national TV, bitch. I don't care about no story. I don't care about none of that. I don't give a fuck about none of that shit. None of it. You're not finna punk me out on national TV. I will beat your ass first. You understand me? Storyline go out the window once you put your hands on my kid. I'm like, wait a minute now, goddammit. You didn't say nothing about mushing her in her face like that. You gonna bitch her out on TV? Uh-uh. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Because <laughs> it's about to be me and you, ho. Because no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Me and Rhea would have fought. I don't give a damn. They would have had to teach me how to take a bump or something. Her ass was going to get whooped today. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Shoot. Oh, shit. Sorry. Let me. Let me pull it back. Let me pull it back and come back. Okay. Okay. All right. We back in storytelling mode. Rhea Ripley was the bait. Okay. She baited them out of the room and got them into the, out there so that Finn and both Damien could attack the men and take them out. They beat the hell out of Damien. And, I mean, they beat the hell out of Dom and Rey Mysterio, dragging him out there, dragging him by his feet, carrying Dom and beating him up. And then they put his ass through a table. All right. They walked away smiling because mission accomplished. But later on that night, they waited until Ray was on a gurney and was getting looked at by medical. And that is when Damien and Finn came up to cause a distraction for Rhea Ripley to kick Ray Mysterio in his injured arm. So now, after all of that volatile attack, after everything they did to try to ruin Ray Mysterio's 20-year anniversary... It seems like Adam Pierce and the higher-ups rewarded them for their efforts. So now here we are, set with a match, a no-disqualification tag team match. 
which means anything goes and any interference can cost any team that slot or that win. Who you got? As much as it pains me to say, I don't see the Mysterios winning this match. Rhea Ripley is an X factor that is always going to be a problem in Judgment Day. And unless you have something to neutralize her, she is a problem. And because she's there and capable and she's just as big and as strong as they are, it's like having another man that you can't touch on your squad ready to roll. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in the nicest way possible. She is a menace and a force to be reckoned with. And if you don't have anything that can stop her from being a part of the problem, then your ass is grass when it comes to Judgment Day. Now, the little bit of relief that we might find when it comes to this particular match is that the for the former leader edge was taken out almost three months three weeks to a month ago and while by my account he should be well ready to go especially with all these videos that we've been seeing as of lately the little cryptic videos with everyone that he's ever faced some of his greatest adversaries from kurt angle to john cena to Randy Orton, to even Rey Mysterio. These are some of his biggest and greatest feuds of all time. I forgot Jeff Hardy. Please excuse me for forgetting Jeff Hardy and the Hardy Boys. But Edge is an icon. He's a legend. And there is no way that he is going to take this kind of shit sitting down. And him being on the show for almost a month and now possibly looming to come back or alluding to come back... (laughs) I think it's just sweet, sweet revenge to finally put Judgment Day in their fucking place. Oh, I love a good intrigue. But we'll just have to wait and see. Hopefully, we'll see a good match, despite the outcome. And if we get Edge to come back, even better. With all that being said, let's move on to the next feud in this whirlwind of a SummerSlam. So the next bout that we want to talk about that's a non-title fight is Happy Corbin versus Pat McAfee. Two former football teammates and now WWE rivalries. Let me try to give you guys a bit of a backstory on these two. Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin actually have a very good past with each other. Back in the day when Pat McAfee was a kicker for the Indianapolis Colts and of course... And of course, Corbin was an offensive tackle for the Indianapolis Colts. Both of them were rookies at the time on the team. And according to Corbin, the last time that he spoke about this, he gave a pretty decent backstory about Pat McAfee and where they came from and how they got to where they are. According to Corbin, he said McAfee was a draft pick, so he got a signing bonus when it came time to move out of the hotel the team put us up in. So basically when you are a part of the um, the preseason and you have been drafted or you've been chosen to play to still try out for the team, you are put up in a hotel. You are able to, you know, practice and show up to games and that kind of stuff, okay? I hope I'm getting it right. For you football heads out there, correct me if you want, all right? I'm just trying to set the mood. <laughs> Corbin says, I didn't have a lot of confidence that I was going to make the team. There were just, it was just based on a few things. 
He said, I didn't want to sign a lease on an apartment or a house if I was only going to be there for a couple more weeks. So Pat was nice enough to let me crash at his place. And obviously, I got released. He said they bonded over golf and they played almost every day and they frequented a bar called Howl at the Moon. They shared a great passion for professional wrestling and they foreshadowed a match that would take place more than a decade later. He said when we were training together in the weight room, we'd be talking about wrestling and how we knew there was a potential for an NFL lockout. It didn't come until a couple of years later, but we talked about wrestling school when the lockout happened so that we could get a head start in that WWE career. Back then, it was a dream for both of us, so it's pretty surreal to step back and look that 12 to 13 years later, because it was 2009 that we were rookies together, yet here we are. So where did things go wrong? It seemed like everything was perfect with Corbin and McAfee. They were very good friends. McAfee went on to have a very successful career as a punter in the NFL, and Baron Corbin left football dropped some weight and joined into bed to wrestling and became one of WWE's most successful stories in terms of character development and in wrestling. Whether I like him or not, I do have to tell the truth. So kiss my ass, Corbin fans. Anyway, what went wrong? And who threw the first punch? I guess we'll have to start with Pat McAfee. Now, we all know that Pat is very animated and so much fun on the microphone. I'm so glad that WWE hired him, especially with Michael. They play off of each other so well. There's no insults being thrown, and it's still fun to listen to Pat. Even when Pat is on the heel side, he makes you kind of want to be on the heel side with him, you know? Pat's fun to listen to. He's fun with all his antics and his over-the-top reads. He just makes wrestling interesting again. It's kind of when the days when we used to have Jesse Ventura on commentary. Or remember back in the day when they used to have Macho Man Randy Savage? Huh? I think that was WCW. Yeah. I want to say that was WCW. It was one of them. Technically, they're both the same company because... WWE absorbed WCW, but I digress, okay? Don't quote me, all right? Just listen to the fucking story because I know some of y'all are in your feelings, but get out your goddamn feelings. <laughs> anyway, he just gets you invested, and I love the way he pops from fucking Shinsuke, and I was like, that's what the fuck you're supposed to do. Give it to me, right? <laughs> well... Pat McAfee called Corbin a bum on national TV and it sort of stuck. Now he's being called bum ass Corbin, which I happily agree with. <laughs> well, Corbin didn't like that because towards the end of his feud with Mad Cat Moss, McAfee started using that moniker more and more and more. And once Corbin got wind of it, oh, he was very much in his feelings, honey. And he went to Pat McAfee and said, listen, I hear you talking shit about me. I hear you calling me a bum. He said, don't disrespect me. And Pat McAfee's like, hey, man, <laughs> if the shoe fits. And of course, well, that began the rivalry of Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin. We got a few digs on the microphone from Pat McAfee and, of course, some digs in the back from Corbin. 
But never did I ever suspect that we would end up in SummerSlam with a match between two former NFL teammates. Pat McAfee was on the microphone and essentially he got, you know, bitched out by Happy Corbin. But he made a claim to Happy Corbin. He said, well, if you're not a bum and you ain't no bitch, then you'll accept my challenge for a match at SummerSlam. To which Corbin never really responded. Until Money in the Bank. When he attacked Pat McAfee from behind and pretty much took him out. Pat McAfee was out for a week and wore a neck brace to the UFC fight that he sat front row with, with Vincent Kennedy McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, and of course, Paul Levesque. I think that's how you say his last name. Am I saying it wrong? Because I'll just call him Triple H, but he prefers to be called Paul. Because that's his name. You know, his name, not Hunter. That's just the name he went by. That's just his wrestling name. But anyway... He was sitting front row, pitcher with a neck brace. And everybody was like, what the fuck happened? Well, after Monday night, after Money in the Bank went off, actually, Corbin jumped the barricade, attacked Pat McAfee, and then accepted his fight at SummerSlam. Hit him with an end of days on that padded floor and accepted the fight at SummerSlam. Typical bitch nigga Corbin shit. I can't make this up, people. Then, of course, that following week, Pat McAfee was out. Of course, he was injured. He had to be looked at, and they told him, okay, this week you're going to rest. So what did we get? We got stuck with bum-ass Corbin and bitch-ass simping Corey Graves on commentary with Michael Cole. I'd rather have listened to Michael by myself, by himself, than listen to these two fools on commentary attempt to be half of the commentator that Pat McAfee is. Well, child, what we got was an obscene display of Pat McAfee's signature pop for Shinsuke. And these two idiots was Rhythmless Nation standing on top of the table trying to do an air guitar, just looking an absolute mess. And for Corey to be just the cool guy, he definitely was a dork that day. Well, Pat McAfee got wind of their little show last week and he cut a promo. And last week he said, listen, I'm sorry I had to leave and leave you guys to Corey and fucking bum-ass Corbin's devices. I apologize to all of you for that because nobody should have to suffer between here and those two. But I'll make it very clear. Come SummerSlam, July 30th, I'm going to put Corbin's ass out to pasture. And there's nothing that he can do about it. I'm going to punt his ass right where he belongs in the trash because he's nothing but bum ass Corbin and that's how it went so here we are it's one day well two days before Friday Night Smackdown and I'm pretty sure they're gonna do something else to ramp it up but I'm not waiting anymore so we're gonna decide who we think is gonna win who's gonna win this bout is it gonna be Corbin or is it going to be Pat McAfee? Honestly, it's quite the toss-up. Corbin is due for a win somewhere. I mean, he lost pretty much every aspect of his feud with Matt Cat Moss. 
He may have beat the hell out of him in the beginning, but everything that led up to Madcap Moss being where he is now has solidified off of the back of Baron Corbin. And Pat McAfee, he's still riding on a high. He beat Theory at WrestleMania, and he beat McMahon at his own game. Now, despite all of that, he ended up taking a beating from Theory after the match and, of course, a stunner from Stone Cold Steve Austin, but... And he lost to Vince McMahon. But all in all, Pat McAfee's still riding that wave. So who do you choose? The loudmouth who's on the commentary every week and ready to rumble with anybody who steps to him. Or do you pick the strategic and annoying Happy Corbin? I want to stick with Pat. I feel like giving Corbin this W isn't going to do anything for him. It'd be more of a win in Pat McAfee's arsenal. He'll sit back, might gloat for a couple weeks, and then everything will go back to normal. Whereas Corbin would have to figure out a way to capitalize off of this. Beating Pat McAfee does nothing for him but give him bragging rights over Pat. And that's about it. It doesn't put him any closer to any championship that is in existence in WWE right now. And if I were Corbin... I'd be looking to gain championship gold, not fucking around on SummerSlam trying to win a match that doesn't really matter to me. And it's no shade to Pat because I fucking love Pat. And I know that this match is going to be good. But I feel like it doesn't matter who wins. But in my opinion, if we're going to choose, the win needs to go to Pat. It does nothing for Corbin in the long run. The next feud on the list is one that I honestly thought I would never see in a million fucking years. But because we're here and the WWE is all about trying to keep the rapport of the youth and maintain that casual audience, we're stuck with Logan Paul. Now, if you don't know who Logan Paul is, I'll make it short and sweet because he's got a long list of infractions that I could literally make a podcast episode about. But because I don't really give a shit enough about Logan Paul to do that, I'm just going to tell you who the man is, or more specifically, who this grown man-child is, who has come into a lot of money from doing stupid shit on the internet. Essentially, he is a former Vine star, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter influencer. He has been known for his crazy antics all over the world, including his splits that he used to do in the middle of Times Square or just in the middle of everybody. He'd be in the middle of people and he'd just do a fucking split. Like, I thought that shit was funny. That that shit was funny, not gonna lie. But Logan Paul has also been known to be quite the douchebag. And if you just look up Logan Paul and his very long, strong-chinned brother, Jake Paul, you will find that they have some heavy, heavy controversies that follow them everywhere. One of the reasons why many people don't understand the relationship between Logan Paul and the WWE, but it's very simple. Logan Paul has a massive following over totaling over millions of followers across all social media platforms. And if they want to appeal to the kids, then going the Logan Paul, possibly Jake Paul route is the smart thing to do. Both of these guys have massive social media followings and their YouTube following alone would bring in eyes that they probably would never get on their own. 
So there you have it. The reason why Logan Paul signed a contract with WWE outside of the money, and of course, the reason why WWE sought him out in the first place. You're welcome. Moving on. This past WrestleMania, we saw the A-lister, as he calls himself, team up with the biggest influencer in the world, or at least one of them. They had a fairly decent match at WrestleMania. I'm not going to lie, as much as I detest Logan Paul, he was very impressive in the ring. And it seems that he fully dedicated himself to learning the craft and becoming as good as he could in that ring and present himself effectively at WrestleMania. Very similar to what Bad Bunny did. He fully dove headfirst into the craft. And I can respect that. I may not respect him, but I respect his hustle when it came to the E. Him, meaning Logan Paul. I love Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny's my babes, okay? Anyway, after a successful tag team defense, well, tag team fight against the Mysterios at WrestleMania, everything seemed to be right as rain. Everybody seemed to be happy. They were fully celebrating, living life on the hog. It was beautiful until the Miz realized that Logan Paul is a rookie bitch and there is no reason for me to be standing in here celebrating with him as if he did something. Because <laughs> without me, he wouldn't be here. And I am the numero uno guy. You got to go through me to get to the top of this mountain. This is not YouTube. This ain't Vine. This ain't Instagram. And this damn sure ain't TikTok and Twitter. You have to fall in line. And the way you fall in line is get knocked back down, bitch. And that's exactly Exactly what the Miz did with the good old skull crushing finale right after the match was over. I gotta say, it was quite beautiful to see Logan Paul face down on the floor. Oh, warmed my heart. One of the pieces of WrestleMania that I have rewatched and really enjoyed. You have no idea. Anyways. This led to Logan Paul being at home in his feelings for quite some time. So when The Miz mentioned him on television and said, hey, Logan, listen, this wasn't personal. This was business. This was to teach you a lesson, kid. You have to understand there's a hierarchy here and you can't just go around thinking that you could just do whatever you want. Nay, nay, you're a rookie and I'm a veteran. And all I was doing was showing you the ropes. And if you accept my teachings, then we can go ahead and be a tag team and go after those tag team titles and become the undisputed tag team champions as long as you follow my lead. But if you don't accept it and you act as if you're going to come in and take over, then I'm going to put you right where you belong, flat on your face. And while Logan Paul didn't take that shit too easily, he was pissed, of course. He said, Miz, I don't want to be your fucking partner, bro. I don't like you. And you attacked me after a match that we won together. How the hell could I trust you to be my tag team partner? Hell, I can't even trust you to stand next to me. So the best thing for me to do is to come back to the E and come whoop your ass. Well, them's fighting words where I come from. And apparently the Miz didn't take it too seriously because for the next couple of weeks, the Miz was just like, oh, he'll get over it. He met, sparked up a new partnership and friendship with Champa. And of course, his wife, Maurice, comes and shows up and talks about his balls every week. 
But Logan Paul was still looming around the corner. And then, boom, we get the big news break. Logan Paul has officially signed with the E. Premium events exclusively, of course. Now, I knew from the moment his ass popped up around last year before Mania that he wasn't going anywhere for quite some time. Which, okay, live your best life. For me personally, I don't care enough about Logan Paul to care whether he's there or sitting his ass at home doing his impulsive podcast. But for me, I mean, for everybody else, they seem to be quite in their feelings. The resounding uh, response from most adults over the age of 20 usually is just like, who the fuck wants to see Logan Paul? Logan Paul isn't exactly a commodity amongst adults. But I have to say, he is a commodity amongst the children. Unfortunately, our children are being raised by pranksters, shysters, thieves, and idiots. And it's unfortunate. And he is under the label of a shyster. Just wanted to make sure I made that clear for you. Anyway... Logan Paul made it very clear that he signed that contract for one reason and one reason only. And that was to put Miz on his ass. And when the Miz got wind, he said, I'll give you one opportunity to recant, apologize, and accept my offer. Because if you don't, then we're going to have to have another teachable moment. And this time, this time I'm going to have to put you out the pasture. Well, Logan Paul said, man, fuck your teachable moment. I right, fuck that shit. I'm coming to beat your ass, bro. We ain't got to talk. Ain't no talking. We done talking. And Miz said, okay. So, Logan Paul was scheduled to be on Miz TV last week, and he was. But that didn't end in a nice conversation or a shaking of the hands. It ended in two out of the three men that were there fighting and brawling. Even Ciampa tried to get involved and he was dumped out of the ring per Logan Paul. So he was scheduled for this coming Monday to show up again and be on the show. But man, Logan Paul couldn't wait. Logan Paul said, I'm sick of Miz's shit and I ain't waiting no more. Once Logan Paul got his ass out there, he called out the Miz. The Miz came running down there and they ended up in a full-fledged fight. At the beginning of Monday Night Raw, there was no opening. There was no fucking intro. Nothing. We got the intro. Bam. Goddamn people fighting like some grown, like some big ass kids in the middle of a schoolyard. I said, these are grown ass men fighting like this? Oh, I'm appalled. No A-lister would dare get on his knees and fight like this. You are what I said you are, sir, which is a D-list celebrity. (laughs) And Logan Paul, goddamn, have some class. You're on national TV, you greasy-haired bitch. Ah, I was disgusted by both behaviors. Actually, I loved it. I thought it was amazing because Miz was whooping his ass at first, but then that's when the, the you know Logan got the drop on him, and it was pretty bad after that. They both was whooping ass if you really want to know the truth, but I just feel like it could have been so much better. You know, it took the referees and, of course, some of the officials backstage to break them apart and start actually start the show. This led to impulsive 
which is Logan Paul's play on Miz TV. And he called out the Miz, but he got Maurice in this beautiful Barbie pink faux leather-like dress. She had this beautiful, her hair was gorgeous. I was like, Maurice, girl, serve us, okay? Gorgeous dress, beautiful shoes. They were a little high. I felt like the platform shoes were a bit much, but she looked good. I loved her beach wavy hair. Mama looked good, okay? Two kids, and she out here slaying the girls like this. Baby, makeup, perfect. Body, perfect. Clothes, perfect. Only thing I could have missed was the shoes. But she also had a bag with balls that were shaped like balls. Like, Maurice knows how to sell a story girl, okay? Now, one thing she couldn't do was figure out how to say genitalia, but... Mm, I guess we got to take one little step at a time. <laughs> I think she know how to say it. It was just a play. It was just, it was, it was just a part of the thing, you know. Anyways, this led to a sneak attack, of course. And a lot was going on. You saw, you saw Champa try so hard to attack uh, the, the Logan Paul and he pretty much took a beat in for it. Like, it was a lot going on. So that leads us to the final bout. The final frontier. The end of the road. Or at least we think it's going to be the end of the road. For Logan Paul and The Miz. Who is going to come out on top? Oh, God. It pains me to say this. But I do not believe that The Miz is going to beat Logan Paul at SummerSlam. If he does, I'll be elated and happy. And I will give Miz all the props that I have always given him, by the way. I will still give him his props, especially for doing something like that. Because we all deserve to see Logan Paul get his ass whooped on television. However, I find it to be very highly unlikely that Logan Paul signs his first contract and he has his very first singles match and he loses. I just, I don't know. I just feel like Logan's going to pick up the W on this one and we're all going to be sitting here like, really? 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 A la Miz. That saddens me, but... With all that being said, let's move on to the next fight. Well, now it's time to get into the title bouts. Every match from here on out will all be title bouts. There are rivalries in some of these title bouts. But for the most part, the end result is always going to be a champion crowned or a champion retains. So let's dive in. Let's talk about some of the ladies. Let's talk about Ronda Rousey versus Liv Morgan. As much as I would like to make this a massive to-do, there isn't really much to them. I mean, let's start off at the beginning. Liv Morgan cashed in her Money in the Bank briefcase at Money in the Bank, even though she made it very clear that she was going to wait and hold on to that baby until WrestleMania and have her moment. I guess she decided in the back that having her moment at Mania did not feel as sweet like having that moment right now. So when it came time for Ronda Rousey to face Natalya in their brutal match, 
she took her chances on a wounded Ronda Rousey. Smart move if you ask me. So, Liv Morgan came down, cashed in, and became the new SmackDown Women's Champion. To which Ronda Rousey was a good sport about. Shook the woman's hand and limped out of the ring. Two weeks later, we get a standoff between Ronda Rousey and Liv Morgan. Now in between that time, Natalia staked her claim to the position of being the number one contender for the SmackDown Women's Championship because per her sentiments, without her, Liv wouldn't be champion. She's half right. Had she had done her job appropriately and actually won the match, Liv may not be champion, she may be champion. However, according to Natalia, she did all the work and got none of the glory. And she wanted some of it. She felt like she earned an opportunity at the SmackDown Women's Championship. More like she earned it, didn't win it, but Liv Morgan did. So she felt like she should have handed it over. When Liv didn't, things got a little messy. So for two, well for a week, we had to see Liv Morgan versus Natalya in tag team form and then a week after we got it in singles competition now there was a number one well there was a championship contenders match and Liv Morgan took on Natalia to which she beat her first major win as a Smackdown Women's Champion I'm sure that felt great for her Ronda Rousey was at home nursing her wound but she popped back up Came back the following week, and they had a proper face-off. And now we're here. Essentially, that face-off was about a minute and a half. Liv Morgan, after her match with Natalia, cut a promo about how I know she feels how everyone wanted to count her out, and that she's the ultimate underdog in just about any match that she's going to be in. Or at least that's how a lot of people view it. But she is always going to remain in SmackDown Women's Champion. And they're going to have to pry that belt from her cold, dead hands in order to get it. Well, she also got a promo this past Friday. <laughs> and she said very clearly that while she understands that Ronda may be stronger, she may be faster, she may have the better skill, she does not have the heart or the passion that she has. And she's not going to beat her at SummerSlam. At SummerSlam, she is going to remain the SmackDown Women's Champion because she's passionate. And nobody is as passionate about this title as she is. And Ronda Rousey gave her a round of applause and said, This is why everybody likes you, Liz. Because of your passion. But there's only one more person who has more passion in this than me, than you. And that's me. And that was it. Now this week, well, tomorrow, I suspect we'll get a little bit more in the bump up of us wanting to watch Ronda Rousey versus Liv Morgan. But for now, we have to come to a close. So the question is, who do you choose? Do you ride out with the one who has had the most tenure and who has had more time? Well, more specifically, has been in the spotlight more often than not. Or do you go with the newbie, the newcomer, the girl who still has a lot to prove? 
I highly doubt that Ronda Rousey gets this title back at SummerSlam. And the way I see it, Ronda Rousey doesn't necessarily need... She doesn't need to fight Liv Morgan again after this. I feel like this should be a one and done for Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey. And I also feel like Ronda Rousey could move on and have non-title bouts with other people. Especially if we have some people returning to WWE. With all that being said, you guys let me know who you think is going to win. My pick is going to be Liv Morgan. Well, let's get back to the men. It's always about the men, isn't it? RoboCop is going up against Booty Tickler this week again. We're subjected to seeing these two men for a second, third, whatever time. I'm not a big fan of them personally, but wrestling-wise, I suspect it's going to be a decent match. If you need a full recap of Bobby Lashley and Theory, I mean, I could do it, but I don't want to. <laughs> Fine. I see some of the way you guys are probably looking at your phones or listening to this as we speak. You're like, Tiffany, don't be biased. Okay, you know what? Fuck you. All right? I'm going to do it. I just got to think of how I'm going to do it. Okay. Bobby Lashley beat Austin Theory at Money in the Bank and became the United States champion for the second time. And we all thought this was over. We all thought that this was a one-and-done deal and Theory was going to ride off into the sunset and live his best life. But oh no! Vinnie Mac had to do one more thing before he kicked the fucking bucket. Not in a literal sense we're talking about in his career. Calm the fuck down. He had to fuck us over one more time by giving Austin Theory the Money in the Bank briefcase and allowing him to become Mr. Money in the Bank. <sighs> And now we're subjected to listening to him skip all over WWE on all the shows except for NXT 2.0, thank God. With this green briefcase, which is my favorite color, and I have to watch Booty Tickler holding it, screaming about how he's going to be your next undisputed WWE Universal Champion because he's going to pin either Lesnar or Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. Blah, 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 blah. For weeks, we have been subjected to this nonsense. And for weeks, we have known that Bobby Lashley and Theory have to run it back again and wrestle. Now, if you aren't exactly... Now, if you haven't really heard or you're not aware of what happened with Theory and Lashley, it's fairly simple. Theory decided he wanted to flex on the best flexer in the WWE, and then he got pretty much showed up. The audience chose Bobby Lashley over Theory in terms of their stature and muscular. <laughs> oh God! I don't I? I don't think I can do this. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Bobby Lashley was chosen over Theory in terms of his sculpted body and muscular fitness. Alright? <laughs> so as a means of getting Bobby Lashley and embarrassing him, he threw baby oil in the man's face. 
blinding him and then pretty much drop kicking him right then and there. He then decided the following week to host another, you know, statuesque pose off, as they called it. And that's when Bobby Lashley came in the ring and squirted baby oil in his face. Very juvenile, childish antics they were having. And so began or continued the feud between Theory and Bobby Lashley. Now, the way I see it, Bobby Lashley and Theory running it back at SummerSlam was just a quick way to get the U.S. Championship on the show, but also have Theory a reason to be at SummerSlam. Because other than that, we wouldn't see Austin Theory, and he wouldn't be looming over the current reigning champion, Roman Reigns, and the possibility of a new champion, Brock Lesnar. He wouldn't be looming that, that briefcase over their heads, because he'd have no reason to be there, although he would have the element of surprise. But seeing as how he's been going for the last three weeks screaming about how he's going to use this briefcase to become the youngest undisputed WWE Universal Champion, he's kind of been foretelling his moves, you know? The game is chess, not checkers theory. But let's get back to who we think is going to win at SummerSlam. There is no way in high stinking heaven that I believe that Austin Theory is going to become U.S. champion again. It serves nobody unless they plan on giving that title to Mustafa Ali, which I feel like they should have gave it to him in Chicago when they had the opportunity. But, you know, no one ever listens to us. So, I don't know who y'all are voting for, but I'm going to put my money on Bobby Lashley. Let's double back to the women. Hmm? Now, <laughs> Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair have a year-long feud that have been in place off and on. And we all know that Becky is owed a receipt from Bianca Belair. Now, last year, around this time, Bianca Belair was riding a high. She had defeated Bailey. Unfortunately, Bailey went down with a knee injury. She had blew through Carmella on three separate occasions. And just prior, she became the first African-American woman and along with Sasha Banks to headline WrestleMania. She was living the life. Confident, strong. She says it all. I'm the strongest, the roughest, the toughest, the quickest, the fastest, the smartest. She is the EST of WWE and so when Sasha Banks went down during SummerSlam last year Bianca was out of an opponent and she was just like fine whoever comes out I will fight so she walked down had her entrance at Allegiant Stadium and waited for her opponent and who should come out none other than fucking Carmella she is always the go-to for some freaking reason but, I digress. Carmella came out, and everybody was not a happy camper. They want to see fucking Carmella? We have seen her so many times. Her ass would come out with her rhythmless nation ass, and she was just... It was like, girl, really? For SummerSlam? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. But, 
as Carmella was making her way down that long ass ramp to come to the ring, Becky Lynch's music hits and all hell breaks loose in Allegiant Stadium. From Carmella to Bianca and even in the crowd, everybody was thoroughly shocked. And we all knew Becky had been gone from having her beautiful baby girl. She had just got married as the rest of the world. She was on a high, you know, living her best life and literally just enjoying and relishing in that moment, that big milestone in life, marriage and a family. We didn't know Becky was coming back. We expected her to come back, but not around this time. So Becky beats up Carmella, comes in the ring and says to Bianca, how about you and I compete for this SmackDown Women's Championship? Bianca says, cool. The match, the bell rings. Bianca gets blindsided and hit with a man's manhandle slam. I think that's what she calls it. It's a rock bottom. I'm, I don't know why it's called that. I guess because The Rock gave it to her. She can name it whatever she wants. But the way I see it, it's a rock bottom. So I'm going to call it a rock bottom. She hit him with the rock bottom. Okay? And one, two, three matches over. 26 seconds. In a matter of 26 seconds, Bianca's entire reign as champion is over. We all were shocked. Angry and appalled. This led to the new villain of the century with Becky Lynch. She switched up her gear, switched up her style, and just came out as brash and arrogant as she very well could. This led to multiple times for Bianca Belair to go after Becky. Three, to be exact. And every single time, Becky Lynch used every dirty, underhanded move in the book to maintain herself on top of the mountain as champion because as she has said herself without that title she doesn't know who she is it defines her it's a part of her and when somebody else is holding it <laughs> she can't be the Becky Lynch that everyone has come to love and hate so Bianca had to go to the back of the line Watching Liv Morgan get a title shot and Piper Nevin get a title shot. She watched the feuds between the women and after that, there was an Elimination Chamber match at Crown Jewel, I believe it was. Or it could have been, it was at a Saudi show. <laughs> Bianca Belair went through five other women to become the number one contender for Becky Lynch's Raw Women's Championship. That match was set at WrestleMania. And as the time loomed, Becky Lynch did everything in her power to try to put as much doubt in Bianca Belair's head as possible. Everything from attempting to cut her hair, to which she ended up getting her own hair cut, pulling her hair, and doing everything in her power, costing her matches, just making sure that she was a major thorn in Bianca Belair's side. Well, a lot of those thorns began to become side thorns in her side. A lot of those underhanded tactics that she pulled backfired on her multiple times over. And then WrestleMania came. 
and Bianca Belair came out with an entire band and was ready to roll. And Becky Lynch came out there in style as the villain that she, the biggest villain that she could be. And so we had a knockdown, drag out, five star match between the two. So much so that Bianca Belair sported a black eye the next day along with her new Raw Women's Championship. So we come to the next couple of months where Becky Lynch has been doing everything in her power to get her ass back up to the top so she can challenge for that belt again because she she hit rock bottom. And the only way from rock bottom is up. This is my redemption story, as she says. She had to go through Oscar to get there, to which she was able to do. She thought she was going to use the money in the bank briefcase to do it, but that didn't work out in her favor either. Because you see, Liv Morgan took that briefcase. And she had to find another way to get to the Raw Women's Championship. Once Liv cashed in on Ronda Rousey, it still left Bianca Belair open as the Raw Women's Champion. And she was in need of an opponent. So, Adam Pearce said it so that they had a notice qualification match, I believe it was. For the number one contendership. For a shot at the Raw Women's Championship. And it was Asuka versus Becky. Another classic match between the two women. They fought hard. And they destroyed each other. But Becky Lynch ultimately won the prize. She is the number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. And she will challenge Bianca at SummerSlam. So here we are full circle. Ready to roll. Bianca Belair has told Becky many times, you seem to think that this is your redemption story, that this is your road back to the top, but you aren't the one who's the main attraction. You are the antagonist. You are the sidekick. You are the supporting actor. I am the main character. This is my story arc. This is my redemption story. And I am on the road to re- reclaiming my time and reclaiming my space and reclaiming those 26 seconds that you stole from me. And all of that, Becky just laughed. Because she knows that all she has to do, one man handle slam and she's ready to roll and become the new Raw Women's Champion for the third, fourth, fifth, thirtieth, seventy-five. However many times. So here you have it. The two women are going at it back and forth. And this past Monday, it turned very volatile. Bianca came out there to cut a promo. And Becky Lynch came out, of course, to cut her off at the pass. But Bianca wasn't having it. She pretty much did not let that woman speak. Not even in the slightest. And when Becky got frustrated, she attacked. These girls ended up fighting so much so that Bianca's hair came out her ponytail and Becky Lynch tore her tights and her her damn outfit. Tore her shit up, okay? These girls was out here fighting, fighting. And well, now we're here. The momentum on both sides is equal. Nobody has one up over the other. So we have to ask, who do you think is going to win? 
Is Becky Lynch gonna retain, gonna get her Raw Women's Championship back? Or is Bianca Belair gonna finally best Becky Lynch on the grandest stage to her? Because that was the time that she almost lost herself. Last year around this time, she was not a happy camper. And this year, she vows to make sure she gets that revenge back on Becky. Well, the way I see it, WWE owes Bianca 26 seconds. And the way I see it, Bianca Belair should beat her in under 26 seconds. And then you guys can run it back at fucking Clash of the Castle. Make it a big old fair for Becky. And then have her lose again. Just, just to make it all sound better. I mean, that's the best ending for me. Bianca Belair is still your Raw Women's Champion. And that's it. Well, let's talk about the tag team titles. The Street Profits are challenging the Usos, two-thirds of the bloodline, for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. Now, if you know any history about the Street Profits versus the Usos, you have to go back to the pandemic era. Because during that time, the Street Profits were champion, and so were the Usos. And so they went up against each other, and they lost. The Street Profits were also on SmackDown at one point, and they went up against the Usos then, and they lost. Every battle that they've had going up against the Usos, they've lost. Despite how good the match has been, the Street Profits have not been able to garner a win as a tag team over the Usos successfully. Now individually, Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins both own wins over individually Jimmy and Jay Uso. But as a tag team, they are definitely, definitely hard to beat. With all that being said, the Street Profits earned the right to challenge the Usos once again at Money in the Bank. And so the rivalry between these two was reunited. Well, reignited. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Street Profits were very much dead set on beating the Usos and finally proving that they were the superior tag team. And once again, being at the top of the mountain, holding those titles. They let those titles slip through their fingers against RK-Bro. They were not going to let that happen against the Usos. So, the Usos accepted the challenge. And of course, they were arrogant and pompous because they have been the longest reigning tag team champion in SmackDown history for being a champion for over a year. And they have had the tag team title so many times over, you don't even have enough fingers to count. Jimmy and Jay are protected by the tribal chief himself. The bloodline is all over the WWE. There's really not much that they can that can be done to combat them they work well as a team and no matter what anyone says even if you say they're cheating they have been able to dominate and maintain themselves at the top of the mountain the street profits are trying to disrupt all that this past pay-per-view at money in the bank we saw a banger of a match between these two teams but what we also saw was a unique finish. Montez Force was, was pinned, but his shoulder was up, and the referee was not paying attention enough to stop the count. He counted fully, one, two, three, and the Usos retained, 
But there's an asterisk to this win. Because the Street Profits, they have a legitimate argument. So, they made their argument to Adam Pearce. And to anyone who would listen. Including the WWE Universe and the Usos. To which the Usos laughed it off. Man, you lost. The referee's decision is final. It is what it is. But Adam Pearce thought about it. And I guess he figured if they could beat the Usos in competition, then they could earn the right to become the number one contenders once again at SummerSlam. To which the Usos took that bet. And so did the Street Profits. They had their match. And the Street Profits won by countout. It wasn't exactly the ideal situation. But either way, they won. This put them in the number one slot for the titles. And they became the number one contenders. From then on out, it was singles match after singles match after eight-man single tag team match. Six-man tag team match where the Usos and the Street Profits are constantly colliding. Promo versus promo. Constantly going at each other's throats. Out of all of the feuds that are set for SummerSlam, this one is the most volatile. And it all came to a head a few weeks ago. The Usos and the Street Profits got into a knockdown, drag-out brawl in the middle of the ring. To which no one could contain anybody Everybody was fighting. Everybody was on their feet. It was just chaos. And Adam Pierce felt like he had to do something to combat this chaos. So the following week, he announced that there would be a special guest referee for the Usos match. And who did they decide was going to be this special guest referee? None other than Jim. <laughs> can't say it. None other than Double J. Jeff Jarrett. That's J E double F. J A double R. E double T. Jeff Jarrett. Double J. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett was chosen to be the special guest referee for whatever reason. I have no idea. If you ask me. I would have put Jeff Jarrett as the special guest referee for Corbin and McAfee's match. Now, I know Corbin and McAfee have their differences, and they have been teammates since it came from, you know, Indianapolis Colts. But the thing is, their match has no title involved. And quite frankly, if Jeff Jarrett fucks up and makes a mistake, that's not going to ruin anybody's thing. If Jeff Jarrett makes any mistake in this match... He could potentially ruin this opportunity for the Street Profits, but also cost the Usos their tag team championships. <sighs> That's why, in my opinion, they should have just put them inside a steel cage. And at the top of the hour, the very last match for the first hour would have been the Street Profits versus the Usos. Inside the steel cage. Tag team bout inside the steel cage. What's, what's greater than that? But, nobody thinks like me, I guess. Moving on. We've come to the end of the road when it comes to the Street Profits and the Usos. It seems like this is going to be the last time that the Street Profits are going to be able to challenge for these titles. I'm going to put my money on the Street Profits. I'm hoping that they will win. 
I'm hoping that they become the champions. It's no shade to my distinguished twins. I love them both. But at this point, you've been champion for a year. And you garner both championships. At some point, you've got to move on too. And since we're moving into a new era of WWE and this wrestling renaissance, I think it's high time we start off with a new champion. The final bout in this SummerSlam saga is Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Now, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar's saga spans over years, and it would take me an entire podcast to really go through that storyline versus storyline and just really spell it out. So I'm going to make it very simple. Brock Lesnar is owed a receipt from Roman Reigns. And if you ask me, he's come to collect. Now, Roman Reigns is in his back. He's on God level, as he puts it. The tribal chief is at the top of the mountain, and he's been there for two years. SummerSlam is his two-year anniversary. And we're all sitting here asking ourselves when the shoe is going to drop. And who is going to be the one to finally sit Roman Reigns' ass down? Looks like his train is going to keep on trucking and there ain't no stops in sight. The only stop that is in his way is Brock Lesnar. Now the way WWE is advertising this, this is one last time, the final bout, a last man standing. They put a lot into this advertisement. But... I have to say, I'm not as interested in this match as I am the others. We've seen Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns damn near kill each other over a span of five to six years. And every time they pull out pretty decent matches, not going to lie. But there is no way that I see Roman Reigns dropping that championship to Brock Lesnar. Even if Vince McMahon was still the CEO of the company, (laughs) Even if Vince was still over creative, I don't see that happening in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, I could be wrong. Roman is the man, homie. For right now, there ain't really been many contenders who can really go after Roman and take him out. There's only been one man who's been able to challenge the status quo and really take Roman off of his game. And that man is Seth freaking Rollins. Now earlier I told you guys that Seth Rollins has no opponent for Wrestle for SummerSlam. And that is not his fault this time. So he was ready to go and Riddle, he's been deemed unable to compete. Seth said he did everything he could, but there's a little tidbit that happened this week on Twitter. On Twitter, Seth Rollins tweeted out that if people bought a ticket to come and see him, And that it wasn't his fault and that he did everything he could to get himself on the show for SummerSlam and that he did everything he could to keep himself there. That he was going to, he appreciates everybody singing his music and that one day we'll all hear you. And then the new head of creative and the EVP of talent relations, Triple H, tweeted back, I hear you. This sparked a massive conspiracy theory on Twitter and Instagram that something major is about to go down on tomorrow night's, well, Saturday night's SummerSlam. Now, I 100% have to agree. 
SummerSlam is always a very unique breed. And just about every year, they find some kind of way to throw us off of our rocker. They've done it for the last two years, and Roman was the surprise. But this year, things are different. There's a new sheriff in town, and there's getting ready to be some new residents, too. I don't know how this is going to work, but I feel like SummerSlam is going to be a massive show and a very big pivot into the new version of WWE. Who do I think is going to win at SummerSlam between Roman and Brock Lesnar? Honestly, they're two birds of the same. They're two birds that flock together. They're the same. They're two sides of the same coin. And in my opinion, while I love Roman and I have respect for Brock Lesnar, I don't think that either one of them should be at the helm of the company right now. Roman's been champion for two years. And at some point, somebody else has got to be able to get in there. It's not that he's not good enough or that he's stale or he's not great. It's just that we need something new. We need something fresh. And while we all love Roman and appreciate the biggest star he's become, it's time for some new blood. But if you force my arm, you twist it, and you tell me I have to pick, well then fine. I'm going to pick Roman Reigns to retain his championship. And Brock Lesnar is going to ride off into the sunset with his cowboy hat and his cowboy boots. And he's going to be just fine. With all that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed my storyline recap this week of all of the matches that are supposed to happen at SummerSlam. We got some new content coming your way as well. And I can't wait to show you or rather tell you guys everything. We're going to talk to you about Vincent Kennedy McMahon and everything you need to know in regards to his retirement. And we're also going to talk about some AEW Ring of Honor stuff. We got a lot of stuff coming down the pike. So don't worry. We're going to get started this week. And I'm going to make sure we have all of those podcasts up for you to listen to. And I will see you guys in our next one. Don't forget to follow us on all our social media. We only have two. At Down for the Count 19 is on Twitter and at D4TC underscore podcast on Instagram. If you want to see all the mess go down, Twitter is where you should be. And if you want to hear the news as it comes out, then Instagram is where you should be. As always, please make sure you rate us on any platform that you're listening to us on. It really helps with the algorithm, and it also gives us an opportunity to be heard by other people. And I have one more favor. We're doing our roast sessions this month. This is August coming, and we need new names to roast. You got to help us out. So if you got a wrestler that you want us to roast, send it to us on our Instagram, our Twitter, or if you're listening to us on Anchor, you can send it to us there. I'll see you guys next time. Bye.